Harrison just had like the craziest dookie and Vic called for backup. <laughs> back. Uh, it was quite gross. Anyways, we're wait, back. how do you hold on, hold on? How are you so quick? What do you mean? What did she have you do? Just hold up his legs or something? No, she was like. Uh, so she originally she wanted me to like hold his arms while she would like do the wiping and stuff, except because like he like swings arms and shit. But she was like pussyfooting around it, so I took over. I fucking wiped him down, and then we're good. Good man. Quick things, man. Who cares good if man. you have to use an extra couple of wipes? No doubt. Just get your hands in there. No, wash we bought, your hands. We bought so many fucking wipes. Oh my god. <laughs> Yo, the fact that you have huggies in their background is hilarious. What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to the Hoops Corner. I'm your host, Peter Tran, and on the line, the Iceman himself, back to the doghouse. Josh Cohen, how you doing? It's a beautiful day. It's a great time to be alive. Are you enjoying those Ottawa summers, I guess? Oh, yeah, During man. Enjoying your 30-degree weather? Yeah, man. It's beautiful outside today. It's only getting hotter, too. I mean, I don't want to get too hot. I don't want to be like Abu Dhabi in here, but, you know, it's a, it's a <laughs> nice it's nice weather. <laughs> The banger in the paint, a residential medical expert once upon a time told me that his skin is so tropical that it couldn't handle like too much heat or too much clothing. I don't remember what it was. A specific type of fabric, right? Rajan Walia, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm uh, just cranking up the AC in here. Um, not like Josh. He's probably hanging out with Dylan Brooks in the basement. Ugh, I would never hang out with Dylan Brooks. just just straight up it would never happen i'm I'm not in the business of building houses okay he did enough of that last game Ooh, man dylan brooks uh i don't want to like shit on a fellow canadian but that dude was on the real bricks out there man we do not claim him (laughs) i don't know about that i think Mm -hmm. canada basketball would claim dylan brooks josh Uh, no no really he thinks he's better than he is. He's going to ruin any team that he's on eventually. It's only a matter of time. You know what? He, he's too young to to say that forever he'll be like that, but I definitely think that's part of his problem. Um, we'll t- I, know, I know we'll get into the Memphis Grizzlies and what happened, but uh, Peter will try to keep on track, keep things civil here. Oh, wow. How, how very kind of you. I guess we can try to keep it simple with Jimmy Butler whooping that Philadelphia ass, right, Josh? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yesterday's game was quite enjoyable. And it was so funny after uh, game four when everyone was like, oh, my God, James Harden scored 30 points. Wow, he's not washed anymore. And then yesterday happened. <laughs> Yo, that's the key, man. Every time a superstar like that gets washed, They'll have one good game every, like, five or six. And that's exactly what Harden did. He, like, he just reminded everyone that he can still hit threes once in a while, that he's still a really good facilitator, and then, like, can sometimes score. And just, like, you know, keep his keep his name at the top of your mind just so he can get that payday this summer. But, no, he's, he's like, following that trajectory of a Wash superstar very perfectly, a la Carmelo Anthony, like, two years ago. Right, Raj? <laughs> just falling off a cliff. Yeah, he he he's not played well this entire playoffs. I would even go back this entire season. Like he's shown flashes, like you've mentioned, but um, this isn't a player who's worth a supermax contract. 
and yesterday the Sixers were just abysmal. And we talked about Jimmy Butler whooping that ass. All I can imagine is him on the plane in the Michelob Ultra commercial singing. He's probably singing in the fucking huddle because that was like the most non-competitive basketball game you could have ever seen. There was like, I think there was inside the NBA where they had the inside audio and Doc Rivers is begging his team to even try, like not even try to win the game, just try. And uh, they came out flat and um, a big part has to do with Harden. He's just, he's very nonchalant. Um, I would be surprised if he has another good game in this playoffs, especially if they might only have one more game left in them. Yeah, you know it's bad when you're 32 years old and Spiro Didis is talking about you turning back the clock. <laughs> turning back the clock at 32 is good. I mean, that's, uh, that's... I don't even know what to say about James Harden. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Can we talk about how uh, the Miami, the Miami Heat have just, uh, how do I say this kindly? Have just performed so much better without their lead point guard, Kyle Lowry, on the floor. Lowry's obviously hurt. He's played pretty much hurt almost all year, right? Like, he had stints throughout the year where he was, like, moderately healthy, but pretty sure he played probably around 50 to 60 games at most this year. And we saw it, like, in Philadelphia, right? Like, he tried to play for games three and four and was slow as hell. Couldn't move, was getting blown by by, obviously, Maxi, but, like, he was letting Danny Green go off. Like, that's when you know that there's a problem with Kyle Lowry. So, instead, we saw a lot of Gabe Vincent, finally, again, back to 28 minutes. And we saw, a, like, a, a big performance from Victor Oladipo, right? So, are we looking at, like, a Fred Van Vliet situation with Toronto last series where... You know, if you're not 100% healthy against this Philadelphia team, if you're not able to stay with a fast guy like Tyrese Maxey, is it better for a point guard to just, you know, take a seat on the bench, Raj, and sort of just wait till you're fully healthy if you need to sit out this series and just wait till the next round? Yeah, especially because they're not in trouble. Um, like this series, they, they actually were in game four. They kept it close. Uh, it was just the 76ers, particularly Harden making some big shots at the end. And um, I don't think they were ever concerned about not having control of this series. They've dominated at home. Uh, obviously, Embiid was out for the first two games. And th- there's no rush to get Lowry back. Like, even last series, Lowry sat out, uh, I think it was a, a game four against Atlanta, and they were able to win that game. Um, and... Ultimately, they probably want a healthy Lowry. He just adds a bit more depth. Another player who's comfortable playmaking if Jimmy Butler's having an off night. Uh, and ultimately, Victor Oladipo stepped up a lot in this offseason. He's uh, an offseason in this playoffs. He's giving some good contribution. He's another player that can give you 20 minutes a game of um, good defense. And he doesn't. he's not a clog in the offense, which is good. He'll take his shots, he'll keep the rhythm going, he'll get the ball to the shooters, and uh, overall, this Miami team looks like they're going to win Game 6, especially because Philadelphia had that lackluster performance in Game 5. Like It's hard to to come out like the way they did and then go back at home and be all sad, and then there's all this talk about MB not getting MVP, and and is Harden going to get the Supermax, and this and that and I, I feel like the 76ers are just mentally checked out and uh Miami there's no reason for Lowry to play at least not game six 
I think you're overreacting a little bit in terms of the 76ers. I don't think they checked out. I mean, yes, they lost that game. I think this is a series where you really can't trust either team to win on the other team's home court. And honestly, I expect Miami to lose the next game. And then Game 7 might just be a toss-up. Because uh, Miami hasn't played well at all in Philadelphia since Joel came back, obviously. And uh, I don't really trust any of their shooters to have a decent game on the road, which is ultimately what they need, right? Like, need Bam to be good. They need Jimmy Butler to be Jimmy Butler, who's been probably the best player in the playoffs so far. And then they just need some of the guys to hit around 10 to 12 threes in total to get themselves a chance on the road. And so far, nobody has shown the ability to do so on the road in this series, anyway. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in. I disagree. I thought they played pretty well in Game Four. They didn't shoot the ball well, um, but they were within four, three or four points late in the fourth. And we've we've talked about it earlier in this pod that Harden's not the same player, and he just hit three or four big threes, and that was the difference. And to be honest, that's unusual for Harden to do that this late in his career because um, he hasn't been that good of a player this year. And he's actually shot the three pretty badly um, compared to his own standards. And even if you look at just their team against Embiid, they've played Embiid three times in this series. They destroyed uh, the 76ers last game. They kept Embiid in check, I think... Uh, in this uh in game four and it was just really game three where they play poorly so I, I think miami can pull it off on the road i think they're just very focused do you do you guys buy this whole like Embiid was like irritated or sad or whatever you whatever adjective you want to put in here this like weird narrative that Embiid was so distracted by not winning the mvp that it like ruined his game what the hell is that <sighs> i need to go in on spiro Didis for a second like Grant Hill lashed on to this idea, which was complete nonsense. But he brought it up in the first place. And some of his calls are like so over the top. And his use of the word magnificent is just totally <laughs> unnecessary. Like he said it like four times in game four, I think. He's like, oh, that was a magnificent pass by Tyrese Maxey. And it's like 6-5 in the first quarter. It's like, <laughs> we don't need this right now, bro. But the fact that he brought up Joel Embiid being depressed about not winning MVP, you would think in that situation, a guy like that would be fully motivated to show that he was the MVP that night after not winning it, right? I mean, look at what Hakeem Olajuwon did to David Robinson back in the 94 season, I believe it was, mm-hmm. after David Robinson got his MVP award um, in San Antonio. Hakeem averaged like 35 points per game against him to show him who was the real MVP. So you would expect Joel to come out yesterday and try to do the same thing. And he was just all out of... I mean, their entire team was out of sorts. Like, nobody had a good game, obviously. And you can see in the second quarter, especially, like, they just didn't have it. There was one play where MB got the ball at the top of the key. And he was going to run, like, a little dribble handoff play. And then Maxi went back door and he just threw the ball out of bounds. And at that point, it just never felt like the game was going to be close. And even in game four... Um, you know, when Philadelphia was playing at home, I just never felt like, going back to the whole, like, Miami not winning on the road thing, I just never felt like Miami was going to win that game just because they couldn't stop Philadelphia. And yes, James Harden had a completely unsustainable game that'll never happen again because he's hitting step-back threes over Bam and Jimmy Butler. (laughs) But 
you're going to have Tobias Harris playing better again. You're going to have Tyrese Maxey playing better again. And again, who do you trust on the road for Miami? I don't trust anybody besides Butler. Uh, maybe yeah, a little P.J. Tucker love. Thank you very much. On the road? Nope. Okay. If if we looked at just game four, Miami shot horribly from three, and Philadelphia shot extremely well from three. And the law of averages, even if they're on the road, would make Miami shoot a little bit better, and Philadelphia's not shooting 46% from three on 33 attempts. See, as you, a team, you say this, and then you look at the stats from game one and game two versus game three and game four. The road team almost shot exactly the same from the three point line, whether it's Philadelphia or Miami. So, Philadelphia in Miami, Miami in Philadelphia, they both shot like 20 something percent. So, I, I, yeah. again, I just have no faith in Miami to win on the road. Philadelphia's going to win game six. That's my prediction. Yeah. Yeah, but. I, just to go going back to the stats because I am taking a peek at them. In game one, Philadelphia shot sixteen percent from three, but Miami only shot twenty five percent, and they still beat them handedly. In game two, Philadelphia shot twenty eight seven percent. Miami did shoot lights out at forty eight percent. Like again, I I still think Miami, if they play at their even slightly below average, and Philadelphia plays slightly a bit above average, I like Miami's chances. Yeah, I mean, I think, Raj, you're just relying on any sorts of averages pulling through, right? Not just like a random situation where the the road team is unable to hit anything. I wonder if, like, if Philadelphia is just suffering from the Miami flu every time they're there. You know what I mean? Maybe, I maybe James Harden is showing them too good of a time in South Beach. Yeah, maybe. Hey, and honestly, after coming to Toronto, he's probably like excited to go out. Good weather. It's Miami. Like, there might be some correlation there. Uh, and also, this is the 76ers, a team that has probably like a starting five of chokers. Um, <laughs> wow. And, and once, if Miami goes up in that game, even if it's like a 10 point lead, do you think the Philadelphia crowd's going to let that go? Do you think that Harden's going to play well under pressure? Doc Rivers is going to drop some great plays and get them playing hard? No, this is going to be like, uh, just just watch it burn and enjoy it. I'm hoping that's what's going to happen because that would be the best ending besides our scenario last podcast with Toronto winning in seven. This is the second best thing that could happen is Philadelphia completely imploding on their home floor. The fans just being enraged and like storming the court. And then Daryl Morey giving James Harden the Supermax. That would be just perfect. All right, guys. So, Josh, it sounds like you're expecting this to go to a game seven. Oh yes, it's gonna be game seven, and uh, you know, if it doesn't end in six on Philadelphia's home floor, where everyone's just going home angry, then James Harden choking in game seven, going two for eleven again, is a good secondary option. <laughs> Why not game James Harden two for eleven at home for game six? No, that'd be perfect. I'm, I'm, I would totally be okay with that. I hope it happens. But I don't expect it to happen. I mean, he might still have a bad game, but I expect Philadelphia to win regardless. Mm. Raj, you uh, you thinking it's over here? Yeah, game six. Philadelphia is down and out. Yeah. I'm going to go with game six also, just as I had predicted. Uh, James Harden is going to get booed off the floor. And at the end, Doc Rivers is going to announce that he's leaving Philadelphia for the LA Lakers. Wow. I don't come out with hot takes very often, man. So I got to throw them all out there at once, you know? That's the hottest of them all. And you then think- next year, it's going to be Tyrese Maxey's team, as it should be. 
do you think that Phil Jackson would approve of Doc Rivers coming to LA? Uh, I mean, I think it's more oh, who is it? Karambas that has a role now, not not Phil Jackson. I mean, with them announcing that he's an advisor now, it seems like he has some power. So we'll see. Phil or Karambas? Phil. When did that happen? Three days ago. Oh, I missed. He's this. a special advisor now. <clears throat> oh, everyone's a special advisor. All the, wrong, all the wrong advisor? people. <laughs> I wonder if he'll like Doc Rivers' posse coming to LA. That's just a weird thing, right? Like, Phil Jackson's involved in this process. Neil LeBron's going to be involved with who's the coach, too. So those guys be in the same room? I mean, if LeBron doesn't bring this posse, it'll be easy. I mean, if LeBron does bring some guys to the room, I think he has to make that joke just to break the ice, right? Hey, Phil, nice to meet you. Meet the rest of my posse. (laughs) (laughs) I feel I got my, uh, what did you call them again here with me? (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Phil is just hanging out beside Jeannie the whole time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Phil. Get yours, Phil. Get yours. I guess we can move on to the, uh, man, is this even a series anymore? The Dallas Mavericks have basically crumbled at the hands of the Phoenix Suns yesterday after yesterday's game and honestly that was with chris paul scoring seven points and having 11 assists chris paul didn't have to do shit yesterday for that for that outcome right and what we basically saw was devin booker and you know despite our shitting on him deandre ayton just taking that dallas mavericks defense to town and it wasn't like anything crazy it was just a lot of pick and roll a lot of attacking Luca in the second half, and it just like they just kept grinding away at them. It wasn't anything crazy. It wasn't complex. It was pretty simple when you really think about it. Um, Josh, is there any way that the Mavericks win anything with Luca's? How do I say this? Uh, insistence, Luca insisting on uh, taking constant stepbacks above anything else in an offense. I think they do have a chance in Game 6. So, much like the Philadelphia-Miami series, every game has been won by the home team. And all the you know all the games have been pretty much dominated by the home team for the most part in these games. And I feel like Phoenix could have ended the series earlier if they had a slight um, strategy change. I think they're really trying to like wear down Luka, as you mentioned, over the course of the series, and playing the long game with him. And then forcing him to play, you know, a lot of, defense in the second half of games and that'll wear him down as the series goes on because you can see in his three-point shooting right he's two for his last 20 and when you're shooting two for 20 from three what's the first thing that you look at his legs right so i think that's the main cause of why he's shooting so poorly in these games um but you know he's going to be at home the crowd is going to be energized and phoenix just has to overcome the first quarter, maybe the first half of the game, stay close. You're sort of like Dallas did yesterday, but just don't crumble in the third quarter, which has been a consistent theme with Phoenix on the road in this series anyway. So does Dallas have a chance in game six? Short answer, yes. Yes, they do. Raj, will this yeah, chance I'm... be successful? That's the question. I think they have a better chance than Philadelphia, funny enough. I think uh, last game or last night when they were playing, Dallas was, I would say, 
in a very good position for the first quarter, uh, first almost two quarters, near even a half. They were down by three. Um, they were quite like they were doing an okay job of not letting Phoenix run all over them. And then what you really saw was on offense. I don't think it was anything special at Phoenix did. Like they were able to score in the half court, which was good. But I think it was just Dallas going straight into ISO, like matchup hunting. And then once they got the matchup, they just did an ISO possession. And for a defense as good as Phoenix, that's a bit too easy. And yes, Luka can make shots. Yes, Jalen Brunson can get some space. But you need to get other play- people involved. And I think that's the big difference um, in how Dallas played in the second half. Like they were barely moving the rock. They weren't getting other players involved. They weren't taking anyone off the dribble. And uh, I-, I do think fatigue plays a part. But I think also just Luka's kind of having the same issue as other superstars on their team in the past. When they're such a big focal point of their offense, it is easier for teams to kind of zone in on you and take you out of the game as the series progresses. Um, And I think Phoenix is doing that. And I I still like Phoenix's chances on the road, but I think Dallas can make this a very close game Um, because to be honest, Shamit played ridiculously well yesterday um, out of nowhere, really. Um, And even uh, Biombo gave him some really good offense. And I don't know if you can consistently rely on those players and, I do expect Dallas to have more than nine assists in uh, at home. Yeah, I mean, Phoenix's main adjustments yesterday were what you mentioned, right? Like, they played Shamit over Payne, who's shooting, like, 2% from the three-point line this postseason. <laughs> and then Biombo, like, he's actually shown a lot of um, defensive ability. I mean... he's he's been pretty good on Luka on the switches. And, uh, you know, when he when he plays... They can actually switch him onto Luka instead of having McGee out there where he's just sort of playing in no man's land, either giving up the Luka mid-range step back or, mid, or you know, the three-point shot wide open or Kleba's getting wide open shots because he's playing in the drop. So Biombo playing all the minutes instead of playing seven to nine minutes, three to four minutes every half was a big change for Phoenix and you know, Aiden being in foul trouble also caused him to play 20-plus minutes in that game, too. But um, overall, their defense was more on point because they were able to get Dallas later in the clock because it took Dallas way too long to get in the sets, which is why it sort of leads me to believe that, like, Dallas is going to be a lot better on offense in Game 6 because they play faster at home and they play with more continuity. Um, but ultimately, I think Phoenix has a better chance of winning Game 6 than Miami does, in my opinion. Interesting. Um, it's funny you guys both mentioned Bismack because Bismack at the beginning of the year was not in the league, right? Like he took a few months off from the NBA, whether it was his choice or he didn't get a contract. I don't know, but it seems like his reputation is one of those guys that had one big playoff series, although the Toronto against Cleveland series or yeah, playoff run got paid from Charlotte and then everyone sort of just... Everyone just expected Bismack to turn into like not like a top tier, even like a like a third or fourth tier player, but like a a really valuable contributor to a team, right? Like a starting center. But as like a backup, as a sixth, seventh, eighth man, Bismack is just like perfect in this role, right? And he's sort of benefiting from, you know, what every other big benefits from Chris Paul, having the best point guard in the game to feed you. 
right? Like the best pick and roll point guard you can ask for is Chris Paul. So it's, I don't know. I just wanted to shout out Bismack because, you know, you both did it already. But, yeah, give him his flowers, man. He's doing really well. Uh, in terms of Dallas this year or this series, uh, there has to be something more than just Luka controlling the offense constantly, right? Like, the two home games, we saw much more from Jalen Brunson than we did in the first uh, two games in Phoenix. And which is what I said last time to you guys. Can we really see a, a world where where Dallas integrates Brunson and Luka consistently together? Or is it kind of the kind of thing where Brunson's just going to pop off at home every time? And is he just like that type of role player? Or is he going to do you know, something bigger? Because you're going to need more than just, you know... Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith and Reggie Bullock hitting a couple of threes at home to beat this Phoenix team. Yeah, but like, uh, just to answer your question, I think Brunson has shown, especially in the Utah series, that he can be a pretty valuable piece. The issue is both of those players need the ball in their hand to be like primarily effective. And Luka's, especially last game in the second half, like his usage was very high when he was on the court. And I I don't know if you take out Brunson and replace him with anyone else, like if it makes any difference to that Dallas team. Like, I think the Mavs in general have to know that they can't go to Luka 70% of the possessions on ISO. Like, it's going to be tiring for Luka. It makes it easier for the defense to, to lock in. They'll be able to send the double or crowd him, get the ball out of his hands and force him to late shot clock. Um like looks and overall I think Dallas has to to integrate more players into the offense especially in the first two or three quarters and then later if Luca's your closer let him be your closer but you can't expect him to be taking like 15 shots 12 to 15 shots a quarter like that's just like not good offense even if he has the mismatch take advantage of it but you don't need to force the mismatch every time down the court yeah, with Dallas, their barometer is are the other guys shooting the ball well enough, which hinges on their the ball moving early in the clock, right? So if you're seeing that, uh, you know, Kleba, Dinwiddie, um, DFS, Brunson, all those guys are getting shots earlier in the clock by moving the ball, then you know they got a pretty good chance of winning. And, you know, in the second half, it just went to shit for them, obviously. And they were taking shots like late in the shot clock where they just post up either Luka or Brunson at the uh, at the nail, basically, with, you know, five to seven seconds on the shot clock. So even if you get a pass out, if that guy's not taking the shot, there's no time left. You have to chuck it up. And there's so many possessions in the second half last game where, you know, Luka was just throwing it to Kleba with two on the clock. And he just had, to, it was like a grenade, basically, a grenade situation, right? <laughs> so if they get back to the ball movement that they had in games three and four, where a bunch of different guys are spotting up and getting the spot up opportunities, then they have a shot. I don't agree with everyone else getting involved in the offense because that's just not how they play, right? Like, you're not going to run plays for Bullock and, uh, you know, Finney Smith, guys like that. Like, they're just spot up guys. They know exactly what the rule is. They're going to stand in a spot. If the ball comes and they're open, they're going to shoot it. That's it. So, you know, maybe yeah. in the offseason that changes. But um, as of right now, like the only way they're going to win is if they hit 15 plus threes next game. And if they don't, they're not going to win. 
Yeah, and and just to make it clear, like I don't think they have to run plays or even should bother to run plays for DFS or Bullock, but I think they need to get the ball moving. Um, like they can't just put the ball in Brunson's or Luca's hand, get the switch, and then start. Like it, it when you watch them, and if you didn't have the scoreboard, you think that every possession they have is end of game situation where they're trying to get the last shot. Like that's how they play offense. And you're like, okay, like you have the mat, like you have the mismatch. There's 14 seconds left on the clock. You keep watching, and you're like, okay, he's held the ball for 10 or 11 seconds. He starts backing down. Oh, they send the double, throws the grenade, Kleba launches, back rim. You know, like it, it, it's it, it's too easy for a team like Phoenix to defend. Yeah, so it sort of leads me to believe that Phoenix is going to win this game because, you know, as the series goes on, as we mentioned before, Luca is going to wear down even more. And when you're playing against, um, you know, a team that switches every possession pretty much, and then you've taken out two of the guys that don't really defend that very well with Payne and um, JaVale McGee, now you're going against better defensive players. Or, you know, in the case of Shaman, like Shaman didn't really switch that much onto Luka, or maybe he just wasn't in the game when Luka was in there majority of the time. I didn't really notice him on Luka that much. So I think that maybe they just weren't switching him specifically, but they switched Bismack onto him. And when you're playing against, you know, guys like that in isolation the entire game, it just is tough to manufacture points unless you're able to get by those guys on a majority of possessions, which in the first half he was doing, but the second half, obviously, just wasn't happening. Yeah, I don't think uh, Shamit was on the floor very much when Luka was in. Shamit basically came on when it was a closer garbage time, right? So don't, uh, you know, don't take that too far with with his comparison to Luka. Um... Have we seen Spencer Dinwiddie in this series? Or is he just, you know, taking a backseat to everybody on Dallas's team? Because I swear, I've seen more Frank Nilakina than Spencer Dinwiddie. All right, am I just crazy here? or No. Dinwiddie you... seems to be lost on the bench somewhere. Yeah, you're definitely correct. I mean, after the first couple of games, I think Jason Kidd just stopped trusting him. Like, he wasn't playing the same as he was in the Utah series where he would sort of catch and go. But again, it's hard to do that if the defense is in place and you're just playing isolation basketball. And he's not an efficient player anyway, right? Like, he's best in a secondary role where he's, you know, um, a scorer off the bench, but he's not the primary ball handler. And it's just not working this this series for him. And I don't think he's going to play that much in Game 6 either. All right. So, Raj, what do you think here? Phoenix? Phoenix in 6? Yeah, I, I'm going to have to say Phoenix wins this game. Josh? Yeah, I had Phoenix in six before um, the series started. Actually, no, I think I had Phoenix in five. But uh, we'll go with Phoenix in six. Get the Mavericks out of here, man. Bury this team. Send Luca back to his uh, hookah and drinking over the summer. <laughs> I want Fat Luca back. I don't. Fat Luca's fun, man. Like, fun to make fun of, not actually fun to watch. He's I awful think, to watch. I think next year in training camp, he's going to look like a totally different player. I think he's finally going to have a summer where he's going to focus on the right things. Because I think this series is going to put like a bad taste in his mouth. And he's finally going to come into camp somewhat in shape. Nah, man. This is the first non-COVID European summer. Like, this guy's coming extra chunky. Yeah, you know, it might leave a bad taste in his mouth. But you know what leaves a good taste is a lot of liquor, boy. <laughs> he's going to be out there in the clubs with James Harden. Exactly. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. European clubs are probably more lit. 
<laughs> They're probably crazy here. True. I think Luca's having a hell of a time. And he has the um, biggest thing in Slovenia. Yeah, I guess he I I assume he is. Shall we uh move quickly to the gate we're recording on Wednesday afternoon, so you know, Thursday morning release. Shall we hit on these games that are happening tonight? Boston that uh, hosting Milwaukee in the game five and then Memphis hosting Golden State in the game five. Let's go in reverse order. Golden State series, probably over, right? No jaw for Memphis. And they're playing at a handicap of like minus six with Dylan Brooks on the roster. They're probably done. I can't imagine Memphis holding on. Maybe one game, but not two games, right? I don't think Memphis can win. I think going down 3-1 to a team with that much championship experience is demoralizing. Uh, and they played really well. A credit to them, they played really well uh, um, in game four. But when you play that well and don't win with your superstar out like that, that just takes a toll on you. And uh, I, I don't think they're going to be able to pull off this win tonight. I think we'll be looking at Golden State having uh, a ticket to the Western Conference Finals yet again. You know, it's really sad that, you know, Steven Adams wasn't healthy at the start of the series because a lot of their offense is predicated on him, especially early in games, in that he's probably the best screen setter in the NBA. And they finally got their offensive rebounding game in, uh, you know, in the last game. And he was really effective and they weren't really able to take advantage of him on defense either. And if, you know, Ja was actually healthy with Steven Adams in the fold, actually making an impact on the game versus Tillman, who plays 12 minutes and doesn't really do anything, gets hunted out there. I, I think they would have had a shot. I really think that Memphis would have taken this to seven games at least. And I sort of think they're going to win tonight, too. I think that they're going to, I think they're going to duel this one out. They're going to find a way to win tonight, and then they're probably going to go down to six. Oh, okay. Okay, more interesting question. Will Dylan Brooks shoot more than better than thirty three percent from the field tonight? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna say yes. Oh, three for six, four for six. What do you mean from three or in general? Just in general, man. You think he's gonna take six shots tonight? Are you crazy? I don't know. I kind of feel like he might get a good talking to. You know, maybe Taylor Jenkins and the boys really get into his head that. Uh, just because Jaw's not there, you don't need to shoot everything that you see. He was taking some awful shots, man. Awful, awful shots. It was hard to watch. It was ugly. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, with Dylan Brooks, too, like, I think him being back in Memphis after missing the game three with the suspension, like, I think there's going to be a lot of him passing up open looks. Like, I think, uh, if anything, he'll probably be a bit hesitant to shoot because, like, as much as players say they don't hear the noise, like a lot of fans of the NBA were pointing at Dylan Brooks as the reason they kind of choked that game. They they had control, a lot of bad turnovers, horrible looks, um, and uh, Dylan Brooks. Uh, I I think he'll shoot. Actually, I think the over under on shot attempts will be like nine, and I would actually take the under. Oh my goodness! Everything you just said is completely blasphemous. Oh my god! What are you talking? <laughs> Have you seen Dylan Brooks play basketball? There's no way he's taking under 10 shots. I would put the over-under at 15 still. 15? <laughs> you hear his teammates after the game? They were like, we ride or die with this guy. What he did was totally fine. We expect this out of him. We want him to be aggressive. There's no way he's going to be passing up shots. And even if they said, yeah, maybe we should swing the ball more often, and they said that in the huddles or whatever, 
he's still taking those shots for Garland. He's that type of player. He just has he has no conscience. And he's going to take his shots tonight. And he sort of has to, honestly. Like, as much as we want to crap on him for taking as many shots as he did, and a lot of them are terrible, obviously, he still needs to take at least like twelve to fifteen shots in a game where John Moran's not playing. <laughs> okay, let me let me read out these numbers for you. Last game he was five of nineteen. Uh, the previous game he was 0 of three, and then got suspended after pushing uh, Gary Payton. Uh, the game before that, game two, three of thirteen, and then you can go back to the Minnesota series where he shot 19, 18, 20, 14, 11, and fourteen shots. Mm-hmm. I take it back with my my six shots prediction. Will he shoot better than five I- for fifteen? He's going to... Sh- I'm fine. I'll, if you take the over-under on 10, I think he'll shoot less than that. I will lay wow. you whatever odds you want, and I will take your money. <laughs> bet the mortgage, Josh. Just oh, bet the mortgage. Yeah. There's no chance he's shooting under 10 <laughs> shots a game tonight. Zero. Mark it down. Oh, we'll see. I hope he shoots... When I, your team season's on the line, it's a different story. Yeah, he's going to think he needs to carry them. That's the problem. Yeah, that might actually be the problem. I hope he shoots nine. I hope he shoots nine, and then the last shot attempt is like uh, some bullshit where he like throws it off the backboard to himself, and then they have to figure out if that's a rebound or if it's a shot attempt. I mean, yeah, yeah. Fuck Dylan Brooks too. He ruined my uh, my spread last game with that <laughs> fucking last minute bank shot. I was about to mention that. I mean, the funniest <laughs> thing is you're gonna get a shot all game, then he hits that shot at the end of the game. Oh man, I love it. Dylan Brooks is hilarious. All right, let's move out east. Milwaukee at Boston. Uh, this series has gone back and forth, and apparently Al Horford is not, you know, the 36-year-old or 46-year-old, however old he is, that we thought he was. Apparently Al Horford seems to have youth again. He's found some sort of magic potion, I would guess. Um, I don't know, man. Can this Milwaukee team really survive Boston for another three games, two games? You know, however many you want to predict. Because te- this team without Chris Middleton, man, that offense is... Shaky with just Giannis doing everything for them, you know? Raj, how do you feel? Hey, like, uh, they are shaky, um, but they did have a very good game in Game 4 until the fourth quarter. Like, they had the lead, they they were keeping Boston in check. I think there are moments where they had their swagger and Giannis was really running the offense and taking over, but... um, Q Al Horford and his uh, vengeance versus Giannis. I think that's what Philadelphia expected um, of Al Horford when they signed him to that big contract. <laughs> but uh, I think uh, I think the series will probably uh, go to six games. Um, I think particularly with Boston winning um, game five and six, uh, and especially if Middleton comes back. I don't expect him to come back and play like 30, 35 minutes if he comes back. Like there's a question mark. I don't know. Like that's all in in the air. I think to beat Boston two times in the next three games will be tough on a Milwaukee team that really has Giannis and Drew Holiday as their options. I think the fact that Boston has different options makes them more likely to win. They have obviously Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, uh, Horford could put up one more good game. Smart could be the other pro player. Like, they have a few options. Yeah, I mean, there's two ways of looking at this. You can look at the unsustainable offense of Al Horford in the last two games, putting up <laughs> 24 and then 30, and Boston shooting, like, 
18 for 21 from the field in the fourth quarter, something insane like that. And then you can look at it from the opposite perspective of Milwaukee blew that game. Like Milwaukee, Budenholzer blew that game because Boston played a small lineup and instead of just sticking with his guns, either playing Portis with Giannis or Brooke Lopez with Giannis, both lineups with those two guys in in those two different combinations have been pluses in terms of net rating over the course of the, of the uh, series, sorry. And yet, he played Giannis with George Hill. George Hill playing eight minutes in that fourth quarter completely ruined their chances of winning that game. Hey, they, hey, hey, hey. But George Hill was one for one from the field. <laughs> yeah, he did hit that one three. Congratulations, I guess. And I mean, they just overreacted to Al Horford hitting a couple shots at the start of the fourth quarter. And despite changing their into their small lineup, he still hit a bunch of shots down the stretch. So you might as well just keep playing big and playing your strategy and not giving in to what Boston's doing. Like, if I was Budenholzer in that situation where the Boston's playing small with Derek White instead of having, you know, obviously Robert Williams is injured. Grant Williams didn't even play the fourth quarter, which is what they've been doing, right? They had Derek White in there, who played a pretty good game, but he doesn't want to shoot. So you put Brooke Lopez on him and just sort of do what, you know, the trend of, you know, the Andrew Bogut on Tony Allen type of thing, right? Where you put the big guy who blocks shots and stays at the rim on the guy who doesn't want to shoot. So I think that's the adjustment they have to make tonight. I see, I see, I see. Um, Josh, what do you think? Give me your give, give me your final prediction for this series then. Does Boston make it to the Eastern Conference Finals? Does Giannis go back and defend his honor? Um, I mean, before the uh, playoffs started, I'm Milwaukee and Phoenix in the final, but that was pre-Middleton injury. And once I saw what Boston did against uh, the Nets and Middleton going down, I said Boston is seven in the series. So I'm going to stick with that. I'm going to go with Boston in seven. Boston in seven. Okay. Bucks in six, boy. Wow. I can see it. I mean, game five might be one of those games where it's like 84-81. And then whoever, you know, down the stretch gets more free throws is going to win. Uh, you know what? I don't really care who wins this series. Obviously, I have no, you know, vested interest. I just hope that the referees start calling every series like this one. Where they just let them play physical. There aren't that many foul calls and not many reviews, to be honest. That's like the key. Not many flagrant call reviews. Just let the guys play ball. Let them play playoff basketball because, whoo, man, those other series out west, boy, there's there's a lot of soft, soft-ass stuff going on out there, to say the least. Man, I need to go off on a rant. Like It's going to be 30 seconds or less, but... Uh, I cannot stand the commentators just, oh man, they got to review this. This is a flagrant one. And then you look at this and you see Devin Booker. And again, I'm not pointing on him as a as an example of we should all look at him, blame him. It's just players are taking advantage of the ref's lack of authority over the game. Like not every foul needs to be reviewed for a flagrant one if the guy hits the floor. And... If you do that, you're just going to set yourself up for fucking failure as a referees because it's taking away from the game. It's you're seeing teams get an extra possession. Um, and most importantly, you just see players not able to play any defense um, because they're going to be like, oh, my God, I, I touched the player uh, when he was going up. I'm going to get a flagrant one. I might as well just fucking let the guy get a free layup. It's just fucking atrocious. And the announcers need to call it out more like. 
most people actually listen to what they say. So if Reggie, if I have to hear one more time, Reggie Miller be yelling for this being a flagrant one and getting excited as if he's watching the best slam dunk competition of his life. Um, when there's every time there's a foul, I'm going to fucking break my TV. <laughs> I mean, the get the best guys for calling this out are the Van Gundys because both Stan Van Gundy on TNT and Jeff Van Gundy and ESPN always call it out. And I think besides the take foul, that's like their number one um, thing that they just go in on every single game. There's all the stoppages in play. And they need to figure something out, obviously, because from the viewer side of things, it's absolutely awful to have all these stoppages. And sometimes it takes up to five minutes for them to review one play. I'm sure like in the collective bargaining agreement, I'm sure the players probably like it because they get to rest more, right? They get more rest throughout the course of a game, which is something that a lot, mm-hmm. a lot of people think about, right? But it's actually advantageous for them because they can go on their bench, they can talk strategy, they can rest up a little bit. Especially the superstar players playing 44 minutes in a playoff game. Like, they sort of need that extra rest. Um, But for the viewer, it's absolutely abhorrent. And they just need to, like, take the NHL strategy of just... The referee goes over on the broadcast, they talk to Secaucus, and Secaucus tells them what the call is, and you're done. That's it. Nice and simple, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all of this. All of this, I totally agree. All right. You know, how about some consistency? Yesterday, there was a play where uh, Maxi Kleba, like, laid a light hand on Devin Booker, and Booker, fell, like, fell through the crowd or where, you know, whatever he did. And they reviewed it for a good, like, minute and a half of just wasted time. Booker does the same thing to, was it Luca? It was somebody. It was somebody on Dallas who go, who Booker hit like mid stride, and like nothing. It was Maxi Kleba. It was in Kleba? the air. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nothing. No. 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 It was. Yeah. And then then we have Davis Bertans like <laughs> getting hit across the chest, and then like I don't know what he like. It looked like uh, he like he trachea got sliced or something with his reaction, and they actually had to <laughs> review that, and and like. All the players, or Jay Crowder was the one. All the players are like, "What's going on?" Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a it's a major buzzkill, man. These they're gonna do something about it this summer. They're not gonna do anything during the playoffs because it would just be too much to change. But my only hope is for every series to be called like Boston Milwaukee going forward. That's you it. know, besides the replay center idea of the replay center just telling the referee what the call is, I just thought of something. I think they should have a flagrant challenge. Right? So instead of the referees just calling or going to the, you know, the monitor to see what, if anything, it was a flagrant foul, each team should have two challenges for flagrant fouls, and the referees never call flagrants. So if you get the flagrant right, you get the challenge right, you get your timeout back, and it's obviously called a flagrant foul, and if not, you lose a timeout. So each team gets two per game. Otherwise, there's no flagrant reviews, period. All right, let's... Yeah, I... I... Yeah, I think the harm is with that suggestion is teams might just use it at the end for like a bit of extra time for a timeout. Yeah. Like obviously like you you might as well ask for a flagrant review and still have a timeout if you were going to call the timeout. Let's say at the end of the game, you're down four points. There was not even really a flagrant, but you're like, he jumped in my landing space. Might as well challenge that we get a longer timeout. And if we lose, like, we still got our timeout. The refs, the refs should also be timed. Like, it has to be the same amount of time that you would get in a regular timeout. 
So either 30 seconds or yeah. two minutes. I think that's the key. Yeah. Like just treat it like a normal timeout and everything is gravy. And yeah. on that note, hopefully everything is gravy tonight when we watch these games, boy. Game five, let's go. I want to thank everyone for listening. Please remember to rate and subscribe on iTunes and on Spotify, all the major podcast networks. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Hoops Corner Pod. And until next time, peace.